Yeah. So <laughs> last week I had to call, well, I had to call my mom because I had a question and she was walking in the mall. And the first thing out of her mouth was, I'm walking and I wanted to listen to your podcast while I was walking. When I looked, there was no, no reason. Possible. <laughs> I'm just glad to know somebody. Because, you know, the last time we did this, skipped a week, which is obviously what we did last week. We weren't sure if anyone noticed, but now we know that someone noticed. So hi, mom. Well, I'm also going to say hi, mom, because I kind of got on my mom's case a little bit saying when you, you sent me that text about your mom, like saying sorry about the basement. And I got on my mom's case about like, you and dad never listened to my podcast. And she was like, we got into a little argument, but then she's like, okay, I'm carving out intentional time to listen during certain, you know, certain times of the day. Dad and I are both doing that. We're, you know, we're really proud of everything that you do and we don't want you to feel like we're not. And so she's, she went in back and started listening from the beginning so she could get the full story. I was like, you'll be interested to see how my comfort level changes. So I think that's been a big part for me. Like I used to be like, oh, we need to be totally scripted. And now we just have a dialogue and we do an outline and we know what we're going to talk about. Well, I was going to say, what people who are listening to this don't know is that before we started this podcast, Jess and I actually recorded a pilot episode of a different podcast, (laughs) of a different podcast. It it died after the pilot because it did not get picked up. Work-related thing. But that podcast was scripted. I'm pretty sure we yes, had like it, a whole I, script. I, I wrote the whole, the whole script yeah. for that. And this one is very much not, <laughs> as you can no. probably tell if you're listening. I wanted to start. I had I sent you a question. I feel like this is, it's not follow-up, but it's an appropriate place to start. Did you see the cat Zoom video? Yes, you sent me that text. And I was like, yeah, I only sent it to like 10 people. And I watched it about eight times because it's so freaking hilarious. Like, I'm ready to move forward. I am not a cat. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here live. I'm, I'm not a cat. I can tell. So if you, it, you can tell the guy above him that he's like super stone faced right. right before that. But when he says I'm not a cat, his face lights up and he smiles. So, so if funny. you if you aren't sure what we're talking about, yesterday there was a video that made the rounds on social media of a Zoom meeting. And it wasn't just a Zoom meeting. It was a court hearing. And there's a judge and two, well, there's three attorneys, one of whom had a minor Zoom malfunction. And by minor Zoom malfunction, I mean that when he showed up, he had a filter on that made him look like a talking cat. Like literally it was a talking cat, like a Memoji kind of cat type thing. But do you think it was real? Like I've messed around with Zoom to see if there was anything. I don't know if it was like he did a custom thing, but it might be fake because there's no filter for that. I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't seen that, although I did mess around because in the article that I wrote, I wanted to explain to people how they could turn it off. I wrote an article about it for this morning, and the point was, the only reason it's so funny is that the same kind of thing could have happened to any of us. You know, I have four kids who get on our computers and do Zoom, and I can't tell you how many times I've, I've never had that happen, but there have been times when I've logged on and the profile picture that shows up if you don't have your camera on will be suddenly like a tiger or some random thing pokemon or harry potter because my kids will have changed it and i don't even know how to change i didn't even know how to change it at the time mine was a christmas cookie from our christmas cookie party for a while and i just finally changed it but in my my daughter she would always like to mess with the filters and stuff when we were doing family holiday things and then i'd get onto a work call and i have on like bright red lipstick and they're like oh jess you have on this beautiful lipstick i'm like actually not really <laughs> let me turn that off real quick well the reason i think that it was real is in i, I linked to the story in the article that i wrote um vice actually tracked down the lawyer and who was quite startled <laughs> that anyone followed up with him because I think he didn't even realize that you could see his name. Like, how do you know who I was? Because it was on the Zoom. But it, but see, again, <laughs> like, I got the feeling that this person, that's not like where he would be spending 
most of his time if it wasn't for the fact that we're in a pandemic, right? So anyway, in that, he said it was just a mistake. It was my assistant's computer, and I we figured it out, and we moved on. So it made me think that maybe it was real, but you're right. It's not a default filter, so who knows if there's this underground market for Zoom filters that we don't know about where you can make it. But it was very funny, and it's the kind of thing that you you look at it and you're like, that can't be that funny. But when you watch it, it is that funny. It's that funny. I sent it to every cat person I know and lawyer. So <laughs> I'll, I'll actually link to the article that I wrote, which has the video in it, so that if you want to watch this if, as you're listening to this, when you're done, you can go and watch it. It's worth it. It's like a 40-second clip. If you're like Jess and you watch it 11 times, it'll take you a couple minutes. We had a dinner party actually here at the house I am last night, and it was my friend who's a lawyer who showed it to me. And uh, we had a few people over, less than eight, like, and we had Indian food. We all had to watch. I had my computer with me, and we all had to watch it. Like, every time someone would come in the door, I'm like, you have to watch this. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that if you're eating Indian food, then the coronavirus doesn't have a chance anyway. Indian food itself, there was a time when they said, like, using mouthwash, I think it was. Let's say you went to the store, you came home, and you wanted to be really careful, and you took off your mask, and you washed your hands. Well, wash your hands first or whatever, and then you rinsed with mouthwash that it would kill any of the coronavirus. I'm pretty sure that most of the Indian food I've ever had, and I've been to quite a few Indian weddings when I was a photographer, and I'm pretty sure that that stuff would kill. So I'm saying you're good no matter how many people you have. That's not a scientific opinion. I'm just throwing it out there. So. So we have a couple of new topics, and basically by new topics, I had started seeing a bunch of articles that were talking about kind of working remotely. I do have a question for you. It's related to the cat video. What is the worst Zoom fail that you have had, just say in the last year? I was on a call, and this is related to cats, and like they knocked something big over in the room I was in. I think it was like a fake plant, or maybe their cat tower. Or they'll just jump on my desk. Anything is related to Zoom. Or I had to turn around to Marcus last week and uh, like working at his makeshift desk in his boxers. And you know, you can see <laughs> him. People, everyone where I work knows who he is now because he's always there right behind me in the background. I'm like, I'm getting on a call in like 10 minutes. So you might consider putting on pants. <laughs> and he just decided to go to a different room. <laughs> That would be a Zoom fail right there because he does sit right behind you. So anyone who can see you would have been able to see. I think I was trying to think of what I would consider the worst one I've had. I don't know that I've had one that was necessarily embarrassing, but there have been times when one time I was <laughs> I was trying to record a podcast interview, not you and I, but interview someone who is the head of a company, like a tech company. I'm not going to say which one. So you would think somebody who leads a tech company would have some of this kind of stuff figured out. I've learned that that's not necessarily true. Just because you're leading a company does not mean that you know how to use Zoom. And the person could not figure out, like they couldn't hear me. I'm plugging in microphones and I'm plugging, and I'm seeing the little green thing happening. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure that it's not my fault. But how do you tell the CEO that you're interviewing, especially since they can't hear you, right? That's the problem. You can't help troubleshoot someone else's Zoom if they can't hear you. Like you, there's no way to, so you're just like the volume <laughs> and they were just muted. That's literally, they had to push the mute button on their, on their computer. You know, I literally went and got a whiteboard, <laughs> turn up the volume <laughs> because what else are you going to do? I can't. Well, the chat feature, but they, if they don't know how to <laughs> well, use the true. mute button, they're probably not going to know how to <laughs> check the chat. <laughs> right. Right. And so that was fun. All right. So we had a couple of topics that we wanted to kind of cover that are more directly related to sort of this whole working remotely. And one of the ones I thought was really 
interesting and i think we could start with it this felt like a good place to start in case we don't get through them all was the work from home employee bill of rights so this was an article that i came across it was in computer world i will link to it it's only from a couple of weeks ago but basically the idea was remote work is not going anywhere right it started for most people almost a year ago which is crazy to think about Jess and I have both been working remotely for longer than that. But for most people, like work from home was maybe something you did on Thursday when you didn't have any meetings and you thought, well, I'm just going to go work on a project and I'm just going to sit at the kitchen table to do it. And then suddenly, roughly a year ago, for most people, it was probably about March. It was like, now you have to figure out how to actually be productive while working from home. That's not really going anywhere. Yeah. And there was a different article that said 30% of professionals would quit if they had to go back to the office. And I'm like, my initial thought was like, well, if you're going to quit, what are you going to do? Right. And so that's, that was a USA Today article. I, I'll link for that as well. And you're right. It was pretty interesting, the idea. I think the sentiment, and you ask a good question, like, well, that's a weird thing to say, because what are you going to do? You're just going to quit your job. But the, I think the sentiment is more, I don't want to go back to the office. I want to stay working from home. If you make me come back to the office, that's a deal breaker for me at this point. So you're right. You can ask the question, what are you going to do? Like if you're going to throw down an ultimatum like that, but I didn't quite read it that way. I read it more like if you are an employer, you should be paying attention because people are saying it's a deal breaker. Almost a third of your employees are saying that's a deal breaker for me. I'm not doing that. Well, and employers have to listen to that. They can't avoid it and just say, well, you have to come back or you're fired because then they lose all their talent. Right. Let's just walk through. I want to walk through this article a little bit and talk about some of the things that it kind of talks about. And it really just lists sort of a play, obviously, on like the Bill of Rights. And so there are these seven, calls them articles, but like these principles that employers or managers, because I don't think you have to necessarily be the person that hired the people. If you're managing a remote team, I think that these are some things that you should be keeping in mind. So let's just kind of walk through them. The first one I thought was kind of obvious, just because something's obvious doesn't mean everyone's going to do it this way. It was employers should provide clear rules and standards for remote work. Now you work for a company where what a 60% of the people have been remote like all the time. So tell me like, how do you feel about the guidelines and, and how well do you feel like you were, now this is not a loaded question because I used to be your manager, <laughs> but in general, like how do you feel that places you've worked remotely have done to sort of set you up for success that way? For clear guidelines, I say what your expected work hours are, even if they can be flexible, which I consider mine to be pretty flexible based on when I have meetings, when I want to get things done. Like I can write at midnight if I want to, but I have to go to my meetings. Like my number one draw was that from that as far as expectations is you can have as many expectations as you want or rules and guidelines, but it's trust between the managers and the staff. Otherwise, any rules that you have when you can't see each other, you can't stop by someone's desk to see what they're working on. I mean, I know there's like screenshotting apps where you can spy on your employees, but that feels really intrusive or like... That's a bad idea. People do it, <laughs> but it can be a case by case too, because someone who's brand new, they might need to be monitored a little bit more because sometimes people will jump into a remote job and they're like, wow, I have all this freedom and they don't follow those guidelines. So maybe exemplary employees with a good track record, they have the privilege of working from home if they have everything they need to and they want to. But someone who's new, maybe if, you know, if they can be in the office, maybe they need to be onboarded in the office so they can actually have it. Those expectations are clearly set and they know that they can develop that trust in person. One of the things I like about that, and this is sort of one of the key phrases I thought from that part of the article was that it talks about the importance of having a clear policy around 
who has to work at home, right? Cause some jobs you apply for are like, don't apply for this unless you want to work from home because it's a remote job, right? Your job, there's no office for you to go to. You work remotely. I mean, there's one in New York city, but they don't have a desk for you. I'm sure you're welcome to visit anytime you want, but your job is work from home. So you have to decide like who has to work from home. Like it's not an option. This is a remote position who has the option to work at home. Right. And that's a different level. And then who has to work in an office unless there's some kind of extenuating circumstances. And those are really three different situations. And a lot of times it is based on role. There are some people, if you're, if you're, if you work in a factory, you don't have the luxury necessarily, unless you're doing the books of working from home, because you have to actually go to the place to push the button, to do the thing, to make the widget at the factory. You have to work in the office or in the facility to do that. And my sense is that for most managers, the bias has usually been in the past towards, nope, you got to be in the office. But that's not the way it should be. No, because there needs to be trust. If the manager thinks you always have to be in the office, I think that means they don't fully trust you or they want to, they have some kind of like power control issue. Or you know what I think it is? I think that they just aren't creative enough to figure out how to recreate the same kind of environment. And the environment won't be the same. Working for a company remotely is not the same as working in an office. It's not the same, but that doesn't mean that it's less than or worse. But it does take a different set of management skills. It does take a different kind of company culture. And I think there's a tendency for managers to say, nope, this is the way we've done it. You have to be in the office because that's the only experience that they've had growing up through their career. So then when suddenly they're faced with people who are like, no, I'd rather work from home, the manager just doesn't, or the employer just doesn't want to do the work to figure out how to make that happen for everybody. You know, and and I think it's unfortunate. I agree with you. And And it's not that hard to make it work with the types of technology that we have. And think about the type of overhead that companies can save if they were to develop a more remote workplace. They could, you know, stop leasing as much space as they used to have. And what companies have seen through the pandemic is it does work and it can be fine. We can be on Zoom calls, we can do phone calls, and we can communicate just the same. I've always felt like, you know, all the Zoom calls I'm on, whether I've met the person or not, if I meet with them regularly, I feel like I know them. It's like, like you and me talking right now, you don't see us, you guys can't see us, listeners can't see us on Zoom, but I feel like we're in the same room. We do that not just because there's a pandemic, but because Jess lives in Arkansas and I live in Michigan. And so we don't have a studio that we can just both show up to. But that was the case even before. I think that there's a, you're fooling yourself. I don't mean you, Jess, but I think people are fooling themselves if they think that they can just kind of ignore this, that it's not going to be a thing. And the part of the reason is there are actually real benefits to allowing people to work remotely. One of them being, if your business is located, let's say you're a marketing agency and you're located in Little Rock and you want everyone to work in your office, there's benefits to that because there are sort of dynamics that go into the creative process that are conducive to having everybody in the room at the same time. The trade-off is some of the most talented people in the world don't live in Little Rock. Like, no offense, <laughs> right? There are a no, lot of- that's what, that's what- That's why remote work was so awesome to me because I'm a talented person, but there are only so many opportunities for me here locally. So that's why I look really hard at remote jobs, not just because I have kids and I want to be at home and I want to sleep in all the time because I can actually go work for a company, say, based out of New York City, where they're actually looking for quality, strong talent and are willing to cast a broad net to do it. Right. And I think that's you actually brought up another really good point. So there's one group of people, which is the largest group who would be a great fit for your company, but are not going to pack up and move their family to Little Rock. 
that's not going to happen. But the other group of people who are in Little Rock may be limited by other factors, especially right now, especially during a pandemic. You know, we have four kids, all of whom are doing remote school. I wouldn't go into an office right now. We couldn't pack up our families and just move to New York City. But even if you did, you may not want to, with having two kids, you may not necessarily be able to work in an office full time. Your kids are not in school on the same schedule that they used to be. Now, I know that they go back for four days a week or whatever, but like our kids, we, if the companies I worked for were located down the street from me, I still wouldn't go to the office because my kids are here all day. I think it's just recognizing that the situations that people have are different than they used to be, or maybe they're not even different, but there's a greater awareness of those things. And so you lose out on a huge segment of the talent pool by creating these arbitrary restrictions that are really, they're not necessary because you can get the work done. We're getting there. And I think that's like the like the silver lining of the pandemic is realizing that remote work is is feasible and companies can still thrive as much as they can thrive during a pandemic while working from home. And they say that the pandemic didn't necessarily change things, but it just accelerated things that were already changing. And that's, I think, especially true of remote work because it was a thing that was becoming more popular, but now it became a necessity in a lot of cases. I think we'll continue moving in that direction. I thought number two on this list was something that was particularly interesting because, and I've had an opportunity to speak with different groups in terms of helping them to come up with a remote work strategy. I did a couple of workshops on that subject, especially early on. So for example, one of them was a contractor's association. Contractors are like, we can't actually build things, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes on in our business. And all those things used to happen in an office. How do we manage that when they go home? And one of the things I told people was, if you would provide them with the resources they need to do their job in the office, you should do the same if they're working at home. And that's not always the case for remote working jobs. I know that when I started working for the place that you work, it was like, bring your own device. That's fine. But that's, I'm personally a pretty strong advocate of, if your employee needs a laptop, you have to pay for the laptop. Right. And that, some of that has changed. Um, when I got my new laptop, I got a stipend for it. They sent me a standing desk. They sent me a new monitor. Um, when I needed a special ergonomic, I don't know if I'm saying that word right, mouse for my carpal tunnel, they sent me that. So I think the company that I work for has actually done a pretty good job of that. I had no idea I could get a stipend until I mentioned I was just excited about getting a new computer. Say I leave, I don't have to give it back. And they paid for half of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Because it's a, it's a benefit of working there. And so you have to pay taxes on it, but still you got a computer. You're going to pay taxes on the money you spent on the computer anyway. So this is one of those things where if a person's not showing up in your office as an employer, you think, well, that's great because they don't cost me as much. I don't have to have a desk for them, which is true. Like you don't have to have square footage in an office for that person. They're responsible for that for themselves. But again, if you want to attract talented people, you should go out of your way to make the experiences the best that you can for them. And that means if they need a computer, I feel like that's the minimum. I know that there are companies- And a monitor. Sure, if that's an important thing. Yeah, and I think the company I was thinking of is Zapier. They're a software company. They make like software that goes between other software that doesn't necessarily connect. So like if you're using a CRM and MailChimp to do your email marketing and they don't automatically integrate, you can use Zapier to connect those two things. And they basically makeshift API connections. Sure. Well, they take advantage of the API connections that exist in and out of things, but that don't necessarily connect and they connect them. That was a bad way of explaining it. So anybody who works there, don't be mad at me. But sorry, one of the things that I've noticed whenever I've seen jobs that they post is that they basically say, tell us what computer you want and what monitor you want. And we'll buy that for you. Like if you need a Mac, 
that's great if you want a MacBook Pro or a Dell or whatever it is that you want and whatever monitor you want or whatever to do your job. We trust you to make the decision that's best for you for the work that we've hired you to do, and then we'll just pay for it. And I think yeah, that's I think uh, and I think companies that have had to go remote really suddenly have struggled with this because how do they all of a sudden get all of those things to get those resources together? Moving forward, I think people are going to work remotely more often. They need to be more intentional and thoughtful about it. Like, for example, I think I told you, like, Marcus got, like, a computer, a monitor, and a mouse. Actually, I'm not sure if he got a mouse. I might have given him one out of my box of electronics. But there was no stand for the monitor. It was just a screen. So we have it, like, leaned against these two, uh, like, candle holders to hold it up. And sometimes the cats will knock it down. Thankfully, haven't broken it yet. But no, like, desk area. I think in a formal work-from-home environment, you should be willing to offer some kind of desk. Yeah. So I think that at a minimum, you should say to a person, you have $600, go get the stuff, not including a computer or the technology, but it's not going to buy you a Herman Miller or whatever, but still like you can get yourself a decent setup for that amount of money, whatever they want. I don't care. Get what you need, whatever. I can't imagine companies like shipping desks necessarily, but you, I get your point. Like they should give you at least a stipend to do those types of things. My company shipped me a desk, a standing desk, an automatic well, standing go. desk that was like, and that was only like 200 something dollars. Yeah, there you go. So I think a company should, again, make it so that your employee, what do you need to get the things done that your job requires and provide them with either the stuff or, you know, if, I, if it was up to me, I would much rather a company just say, this is your budget, get what you want. When I worked for the company that you work for, there was one or two times when they're like, oh yeah, we could send you. And I'm like, never mind. Yeah, we had like a list of things that yeah. we could get and we could pick two. And I just remember one time looking at the list and going, uh, I'm good. I, I don't want that. Because it was sort of like you can have a, I don't know, I needed a notebook or something. And they're like, well, you can have the Amazon Essentials version. And I didn't want that. I got a nice monitor and my standing desks through that. See, I would be pretty picky even about the monitor. But that's just because I'm just the way I am. I'm. They sent me a nice one. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. And I think that. You're right, especially people who are sent home, right? Because there's really two categories of people. There are people who already work from home, and then there are people who are sent home. The third category, I guess, are people who, who had to find a new job, and that new job happened to be remote, but they're almost in the same category as the people who got sent home, right? It's like, I wasn't doing this, and now I am doing this. No one's in that situation anymore. We've been doing this for a year. Um, the next thing on the list was interesting to me, because I had never thought about this. Maybe it's because of the way that I've always worked, but it talked about like allowing people to use optional technology. What I think about with this is my dad works for a government agency and he's not allowed to put apps on his phone. Like he actually just can't. He can't download apps to his iPhone. They're all all pre-installed. He can't have his personal email on there or whatever because it's a government device, right? Well, you understand the government, like, okay, fine. That makes sense. They don't want you downloading Candy Crush and whatever. And there's suddenly like Russian malware in there or something like, you know, there was a time when TikTok, that was the thing they were like, TikTok's tracking your location. You can't have it on your government phone. So I can understand that. But the thing is, a lot of companies are like that. You can't access your company email on your personal iPad. And I've always thought that never really occurred to me in the past. But when I think about it, it makes me think like, why? Why would you tell somebody, sorry, you can't work on your iPad? I remember one time applying for a job. This is a true story. It was a remote position. I didn't end up working there. So and you'll understand why in a second. It was a remote position. They said, we want you to work from home. Here's what we're going to send you to use. And it was like some HP 17-inch laptop thing. 
And I was like, really? I don't want to use that. Can I just use my own laptop and log on to Microsoft Office or whatever, whatever software they were using? And they're like, no, you can't do that. You have to use this one that we're going to send you. For me, it was a deal breaker. I'm like, if you're going to force me to use something that's, I'm going to hate using every single day, that's like a deal breaker. So I do think that if your employees have technology they want to use, the opposite is true. You shouldn't force them to use. Here's the Chromebook. It's like our kids with school. They really want our kids using the Chromebooks from the school. I get it. They're locked down, whatever. But you know what? They're just not good. (laughs) (laughs) I've been told that I'm tough on Chromebooks, which is true. So our kindergartner uses one of our old MacBook Airs, and we would rather him use that. And the same thing's true for work. I know that several of the people who, when I was working for the company that you work for, the computers that they were sent were Chromebooks. But on paper, that makes sense because they can access everything in Google Docs, right? So it makes sense in that regard, but I would quit. I would be like, I can't handle it. Well, you know, since I got my new computer, two people who have listened to our podcast have now bought new MacBook Airs. Those are listeners and good for them. (laughs) And they're friends of ours, but still, you know, they listen. When I got my new computer, my 2016 MacBook Air, my daughter went nuts over it. That's now the family computer. Someone forgets their Chromebook charger. So there's another computer that they can log on to. My daughter has a really cool, like, I like her Chromebook. It's like, you can fold it. It's a touchscreen pretty fast. My son has a really old school slow one. I know that there are, and this article mentions it, in a work environment, there are some legitimate reasons. For example, well, first of all, there are some work environments where you might be dealing with sensitive stuff that needs to be in a more controlled environment. Like, hence my dad, right? <laughs> right? There, there are reasons that you can't. You might be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or you work in those types of offices where they don't want just anybody logging onto the network. I get that. And as an employee, if you were working on something for a really big company on your personal device and that big company gets sued over it, they're going to want to look at your personal device. So there are some risks and trade-offs involved. Generally speaking, what most of us are doing is not that serious. <laughs> so I think it, you should err on the side of giving people the freedom to do what they want. Right. And that it pertains more to small, medium-sized businesses and enterprise businesses where more security is really needed. Maybe having to log into a VPN or whatever. And uh, you should provide but- that, right? You should. I mean, here's the scenario. Give, send your employees a Wi-Fi router that you know is secure and then give them a VPN. That's not even new technology that's been around for... I remember when I was in sales for FedEx to log on to my Dell laptop, which probably weighed 30 pounds, had this little token that would change numbers every 90 seconds. And you had to use that to log into the VPN. And that was like 2002. So one more that I thought was really interesting from this, and you've touched on it already, is the flexible hours. I would say the balance is sort of like... And we actually, I think, talked about this a couple of weeks ago where you should set expectations for how you're going to work so that way people can help you like help you troubleshoot when things go wrong why didn't i get this thing done well you only worked seven hours this week oh yeah that's right you're right if you don't tell people then there's no way that they can help you but i think that there needs to be some sort of a balance between this is the amount of work that has to get done and here's the deadline here's the checkpoints but the rest of it i need you to just tell me jess how are you going to get it done you tell me it doesn't matter to me if you want to work whatever hours tell me what they are not because I want to check up on you, but because if I know that you're going to work noon to eight my time, I'm not going to slack you at 9 a.m. expecting an answer in 15 minutes. Anytime you slacked me at 9 a.m., I didn't answer you yet. <laughs> right. And I thought, she has kids. She has to be up. And then I'm like, oh, she's already gone back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> she's already sent the kids to school and she's already taking a nap. I, uh, I have no comment. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. But I'm saying that like the whole point there is like, 
flexible work hours are a big thing for people to attract talent because the whole nine to five thing needs to go away unless it's really important to that industry, say if you're a stock trader. Right. And I think along those lines, the other piece of it is now, if you're somebody who's who is working from home, but you are responding to support messages for, let's say, a tech company, right? Let's say you work for a software company and you're part of the customer support team. Even though you work at home, we need coverage from 8 a.m. till 4 p.m. And then we need coverage from 3 p.m. to midnight, whatever. Like, so that's a little bit different. You can't just be like, eh, I'm not going to answer any support tickets because people will get mad. There's a reason that they have people working at different times. So different types of work are different. Work like what you and I do, we're writers. That's a slightly different kind of a structure and a process than responding to support tickets all day. Doesn't mean it's any better, but it does require a little bit of flexibility because the way I describe it to people generally, I spend a lot of time researching and I put a whole bunch of stuff into my brain, then I let it marinate and you just never know when it's going to be done. <laughs> right. But once it is, I can crank out. So I wrote an article. I don't think I can say what it was yet. I spent all weekend. I think I listened to 12 or 15 hours of interviews and I reread most of two books. It was a lot. I don't work on the weekend, really. And I wouldn't normally either. But my point was I spent all that time. And I mean, I was listening to interviews while I was doing other things, right? It's not like I had to sit there for 15 hours listening to stuff. But the point was all of that stuff went in and then all of a sudden ideas started coming out. And it did not take me, even though you know how long it takes to write 3,500 words, but it probably only took me two or three hours of actual writing time because the stuff just kind of came out. Because you spent however many hours researching and listening. And then, you know, the first Monday morning, like there was nothing. I mean, I had done all the research, but I had nothing. But my Monday afternoon, I had 2,500 words. You can't really control how that happens. So if someone was like, nope, I expect you to sit at a desk today from 8.30 to 5.30 and I, you know, I want to see what you did when you're done, you'd be like, and by Tuesday at noon, I, I was able to turn it in Tuesday at noon. Most of Tuesday, I actually deleted stuff because I had 4,500 words and they only wanted 3,000 words. And so I had to get rid of a bunch of words. So anyway, you have to have a lot of flexibility that balances the needs of the business with the needs of the individuals, because then you'll, you'll be able to attract like the right kind of people and not make them feel like they're micromanaged. Yeah. And I think that's like the number one annoyance of a lot of employees is feeling micromanaged. I used to sit at a desk from it wasn't super strict from like nine to five or whenever I felt like I was done for the day but it's like I could do this exact same thing at home and sometimes I was just at my desk and I got bored out of my mind and that's when I started freelancing <laughs> it's because I just had so much time and I was already there so and I did that at my workplace sorry for that <laughs> and you know like a good example I think is when I was your editor so this was true for all of the writers when you bring in a new writer, you tend to manage the process more closely so that you can help them to build good habits. Onboarding practice. Sure, but you and you want to help them to build good habits. And so you kind of go along each side of each other. And so you're checking in on a regular basis to see how they're doing. And then you, as people start to deliver great work, you manage the process less. And you get to a point where you're able to just, good, you're consistently delivering this quality of work and you're doing it on time. Well, I mean, as long as that's happening, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Like, tell me when it's going to be done. And, but as soon as that isn't the case, then you have to get back in and help diagnose and manage the process again. For example, when I first started where I work, I met with my editor nearly every day because I was onboarding, learning those best practices and getting set up for success. Um, when you were my editor, I think we met maybe three times. We probably a week. were at first like three times a week and then it got down to like two. And I think that teams need to get used to 
using systems other than email, like using Slack or using Microsoft Teams or I don't know if HipChat is still a thing. You know, having a way to communicate without having to send an email about every single little thing, like, hey, can you take a look at this? Or, hey, um, I have just one quick one-off question, rather than that everything being a phone call or an email, where you feel like you have to write a whole paragraph and then be like, cheers. You'll be sad to know that HipChat is no longer a thing. It was actually owned by the same people that own Trello, but if it could be a Slack message, send a Slack message. If it has to be a meeting, that should be a pretty high bar. Right. Like I had one of those today and it was um, it's like, hey, do you have a quick few minutes? We can talk about this ebook and then be done with it. And I was like, oh, man, I had my Slack off. I'm so sorry. Are you free? And she's like, yeah, I'm doing a quick workout. 30 minutes. OK. Yeah. And we talked for like 10 minutes. And we're like, OK, we're done with this. That's OK, because sometimes it is easier to jump on a thing rather than Slack back and forth and back and forth. But I think sending those little messages back and forth can greatly reduce the amount of unnecessary meetings. And I am very, I'm grateful I work at a company where we don't have meetings just for the sake of having meetings. I used to have a manager that had a weekly meeting with me every week, no agenda, and it was just on the phone. It would just be silent. I could just hear him typing. He's like, what are you working on this week? I would say something and then I could just hear him typing again. And I was like, finally, I'd be like, so anything else? (laughs) And that which is a complete 360 from what I experience now. And I think that's the kind of thing that companies need to embrace, especially in a remote world. And I think just tagging along to that, the first one is I put this in a piece that I wrote a while ago and I got a little bit of pushback at first, but I stand behind it. And that was that when you have a meeting, a video meeting, you should cover one thing at a time. Now, the exception to that is sort of the all company culture building type meetings, right? Where it's like, hey, we're going to run down. Here's what's happening just so everybody has a big picture of what's going on. I think those are important. I don't think they should be super long. I think that those are important. But when you meet with a team or even on an individual basis, if you have multiple, I don't mean like if you and I were talking about an article and there's four things we want to talk about, we don't need four meetings, right? And if we had two articles we needed to cover, we don't need two meetings. But if I wanted to talk to you about articles and something totally different, you're just extending the meeting and people's ability to continue to focus on Zoom meetings is much shorter than it is even in person. And most of us don't like sitting in meetings even in person either, right? And so then the question becomes, is this important enough to be a meeting? If it is, who actually needs to be there? And if the answer is Jess doesn't need to be there, don't invite Jess or invite Jess and tell her she doesn't have to come. So she just knows about it just for the sake of making her feel included. There's this beautiful, wonderful thing that happens when you stare into a video camera and send the bits out into the universe. You can record them, right? And so that anyone who couldn't be on the meeting can still have the benefit. The only thing that they don't get is they can't ask questions. There's a whole lot of ways you can make that work outside of that, right? Slack is great for that. Or worst case scenario, you find out there was three people that should have been in the meeting and now you just have a quick meeting to deal with it, right? So I I don't know. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the recordings too, especially like if you're on PTO or something, but you still need to like stay on top of a topic or a meeting that's going on. You can also do that with this podcast. You can listen to this hour-long podcast and be done in like 40 minutes. (laughs) But we both talk so fast, I think that might be a little hard. That's true. It would probably be like listening to the chipmunks. (laughs) If that was the case. (laughs) I'm going to listen to it like that now. (laughs) I think everyone who's been listening to this, it's too late for this episode because basically that's all we have. But you should from now on listen at one and a half speed and you'll get that time back. What if we could record it at one and a half speed? We'd just be sitting here talking really fast to each other. Neither of us would have any idea what we're talking about. So my last question for you is, this is totally unrelated, but you said something earlier. You talked about you had a manager who you had a weekly meeting via phone. So my question is, 
Are you someone who likes to talk on the phone or not? And why? I don't really like it, but it depends. If it's family and I have, like, I'll talk to my mom on the phone. But, yes, like, right. I don't want to just, in general, don't like to talk on the phone. I would rather text and then talk on the phone. Yeah, if people call me, unless I know that it's something very important and I'm expecting it, I don't even answer the phone. Unless it's my wife. And my wife only ever calls me when she gets in the car to come home from work. Like, that's literally it. <laughs> right? And so I, I just was curious because I think about the fact that I carry this phone around all the time. Only if it had no phone capabilities, I'd be fine with that. Because I hate voicemail. I hate listening to voicemail. The only good thing about voicemail on an iPhone is you can just read it, right? Yes, the transcription. You don't even have to. I've got. I you can't don't even tell have to you how many spam calls I've gotten today. It's all about my student loans, and I don't even have that many left. And I like to keep them for my taxes, for my tax returns, because they're like not well, that much. Per I month. keep getting messages saying things like, you know, we want to help you get your business listed on Google, and I'm like, people wanting to buy my house that I sold a year ago. That's all we got this week. We will be back next week. Next Promise. Week. Cross our fingers. Hope. Die. <laughs> Don't Sorry, say Sorry, not the best way to end <laughs> that, especially in a pandemic. We'll be here. Come back. All right. Thanks.